Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes, who's my normal weekly podcast, and Jason Staples is back in the fold. Jason, hey. I, I looked at my Slack. I think the last time I texted you maybe was last November. It's been a while, man. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't make a bowl. We don't get to hang out nearly as long. Indeed. And and so let's jump right into this one since we're pushing up on the edge of training camp. Greg, I'll go to you since you were at Media Day or, or ACC football, Operation Football in Charlotte. The media results have come out of the voting, and Carolina is sixth in the Coastal. Now, I realize three and nine is bad, but sixth in the Coastal, Greg, really? That, that seems a bit low, but I guess you got to ultimately prove it. Your thoughts? Well, let's not forget that somebody voted North Carolina number one in the Coastal. So that was And that's me. more ridiculous than sixth, uh, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, going to say, um, so it was not you. We, we it, had a report that it was Greg Barnes. <laughs> now, it could have been Ross. I haven't checked with Ross. I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm betting no on that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at number six, uh, first thing you have to do is look at number seven. And, you know, when you've got Bronco Mendenhall saying that he's only got, what, 26, 27 ACC-level players on his roster, uh, I think that gives you a pretty good indication of kind of how Virginia (laughs) should be this year. That's what Uh, you call setting expectations (laughs) low. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Quite effectively, might I add. Um, but I really think typically I'm one to kind of defend uh, the media at these things because the media is asked basically uh, to draw names out of a hat essentially and say, look, we, we need a preseason poll. You're here. Yeah, I know we I know you got a lot of work to do, but please you know, jot down uh, the rankings that you think is going to play out. And media members know just as well as the average fan knows that a lot of different things are going to play out and what we think is going to happen. Not always will. Now you, know, you can say, well, you know, the, AC, the, the media has picked uh, the, the division champs, right? Six of the last 13 times. So they're not horrible, but when you get into the semantics of, okay, well, who's going to finish second or who's going to finish fifth? That's a crapshoot, And everybody. Knows <laughs> um, but I think, I think even in this situation, media tends to forget some of the nuance of what happened last year. Yep. Um, you mean and, like 20, you mean like 20 plus injuries out for the season kind of thing? Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we did the numbers this off season and UNC had bar count, which was unofficial at 77 starts, lost injury and 232 games lost injury, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Um, 
And so when you factor that into the three and nine, you're like, okay, that's completely, you know, an outlier. And for whatever reason, I don't think media has thought too much about that. And so I think six is way low. Um, Is this a team that's going to compete with Miami? You know, as as Jason alluded to, no, I I don't think so. Uh, Can they compete with, you know, maybe Virginia Tech? You know, Virginia Tech keeps losing players, maybe. (laughs) But but I think more likely than not, you know, North Carolina is going to be middle of the pack in the Coastal. And if if things break their way, maybe they can finish in the top half. But I'd I'd be hard-pressed to see this North Carolina team finish sixth. Jason, you said Mendenhall does a great job at setting expectations low, but shouldn't expectations for Carolina be equally as low? Your thoughts? Not quite that low. I mean, uh, here's the thing. Did anybody, when they read Mendenhall's comments, I mean, I heard people saying like, oh, you're not supposed to say that as a coach. But did anybody actually disagree with him? (laughs) Having watched Virginia the last couple of years, did anybody go, oh, come on, you you, you got way more talent than that? Nope, nobody said that. At least not that I know of. So Everybody said, well, at least he's honest. Yeah, he's he's I mean, when he's setting those expectations low, he's actually being pretty honest about the state of his roster. And I look at Carolina's roster and it's made up of of guys that belong for the most part, belong in the ACC, belong in the upper half of the ACC for the most part. And you look at the skill positions in particular on offense, uh, you, you look at some of the guys in the secondary, you look at some of the guys on the defensive line, they've got some players. Uh, so. No, I don't think that they should be that the expectations should be the same as Virginia. Um, but at the same time, we did watch last year. Learning or, or winning is something you have to learn to do. You have to; it's a habit, and you know you get out of that habit, and sometimes it can be tough to recover. Uh, and we all know that there are question marks at two key spots on offense, and and then the linebacker spot as well. So. You know, it, it 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 like like Greg said, it's a, a bit of a toss up in terms of what you can expect from this team. Because if they go through another year where they lose, what seventy starts? What, what was the number, Greg? Seventy seven. Seventy seven starts. Then yeah, they're, they're going to finish sixth or seventh in the conference. But if they stay reasonably healthy and they get a couple breaks, this is absolutely a team that could go eight and three, nine and two. Uh, or I guess what eight and four, nine and three. I always forget to add that extra game these days, but um, they they absolutely could do that with the right breaks. If a couple of guys really develop and all that, I think again, what that means is you have to set the expectation somewhere in the middle there. And, and that's probably not at six. I mean, I, I I would think uh, as I'm, you know, looking at Carolina's schedule, as I'm, evaluating what other other programs in the conference are, are are looking at i would look at carolina probably finishing fourth or fifth uh as the most likely outcome in the coastal somewhere in the four and four range in the conference i think is probably about right looking at that conference schedule if things stay as you'd kind of expect but again a couple breaks and that that could absolutely turn into six and two in the conference. And then you're, then you're probably second, maybe first, maybe tied for first. So I don't think anything in that range is out of the question. And I don't think six is absurd. I just don't think that it's the, the most likely outcome. 
Jason, I don't want to dwell too much on last year, but Aaron Crawford made a comment at the ACC kickoff that kind of resonated with me. He said he didn't think it was the injuries necessarily uh, that hurt the team so much last year as it was how the team reacted to the injuries. Uh, And with you having played at Florida State, I'm, I'm curious, you as those injuries pile up, and as some guys are, are banged up that you know you keep seeing your teammates fall seemingly weekly, um, do you think this was a situation where not only did the injuries impact the team, but just the morale of the team was so affected that things kind of spiraled out of control, especially there kind of middle of the season? No, oh, I, I think there I don't think there's any question about that, but it, it's I think it's parsing a little too. Uh, too finely to say, well, it's not the injuries. It's how he responded to the injuries. Because, I mean, honestly, they could have responded to the injuries better and probably still lost the games they lost. Uh, Just, I mean, they were playing with the equivalent of an FCS roster in terms of depth toward the end of the season. Uh, They had better players than most FCS players had in terms of the, or most FCS teams have on that front, uh, in terms of their starters. But in terms of depth, you're, you're just not playing with the same roster that that other teams on your schedule are playing at that point but yeah I mean you could see particularly I mean I think the most obvious one and we talked about it on this podcast and you know obviously uh on inside Carolina quite a bit uh at the time but the most obvious one was was the Virginia Tech game I mean they went out there and they were competitive for the first couple drives and then you could just see when a couple breaks went the opposite way that team just quit and they those guys just didn't look like they wanted to be out there at all. It was like, let's just get out of here. Let's get this game over. I'm tired of this. And you could just see that was the mentality of the team. So, I mean, I think he's absolutely right in that. And you could see it. I think that was the most visible game. There were a couple others where you could see that they uh, they they had a tendency to fold. Uh, and, and you look at the, the counter to that was, of course, Pittsburgh and the reason I think the reason that they didn't fold in that one is because they started that game with such a bang. They they started by getting so much life pumped in early on that they played differently in that game. I mean, that was a world's different from how they played against Virginia Tech. And I think, again, a couple bad breaks when you're a team that's that fragile mentally in terms of how you respond to things and things spiral out really quickly. But you're not going to get blown out by Virginia Tech like that unless you, your guys are quitting. And and that's basically what happened. I think he's absolutely right. Let me, and I kind of want both of you to answer this, but I'll go back to Greg um, just for a second. So how do the coaching staff get this season off on the right start? And I think the mental aspect of it is going to play a huge role for this team, like you guys mentioned. And, and so, Greg, you've got your first two games on the road – One's across the country at California. One's at East Carolina, a team they should absolutely beat. Uh, yeah. so, they don't beat ECU. That that's a really bad sign. Yeah. So so how do how does the coaching staff deal with that aspect of the the mental side? If you go to California and you don't play well, or if there's key guys suspended, or whatever is going to happen there, I mean, you know, we always talk about coaching X and O's, but coaches is is just as much. Um, coaching those kids between the ears, especially coming off a season like last year, don't you think, Greg? Yeah, and I think there's a couple of parts of it. And you know, 
Butch Davis is really the, the first one uh, at UNC that, that really harped on this. Uh, you know, was, he was obviously not the first coach to, but uh, at UNC where fans really started to, to hear this phrase, but shared experiences. And he talked about, you know, every game we play, we're learning something new about each other. And then we can build on that, not only from game to game, but from year to year. And I think if you go back to 2014, uh, you Fedora really lost that team at the end of the year. I mean, I was shocked in Detroit at the uh, Quick Lane Bowl after the game, and we weren't talking about the game. We were talking about how things had spiraled out of control, and players were pointing fingers at each other. They were pointing fingers at the coaching staff, and you're kind of like, whoa, this is like out of control. And so Fedora really was in a situation where he could have completely lost the team, and 2015 could have been a mess. But he learned from the situation. He addressed it. And even though they go to Charlotte the first game of 2015 to lose, I vividly remember Elijah Hood after that game, even though they lost, being like, man, we, we play bad. We are going to steamroll people. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. You had a bad year last year. <laughs> you lost to South Carolina, who's not any good. And, and they had no he, business he right. losing that game. Good Lord. They had no business losing that game, but they knew it. And whatever they did in the offseason, um, they had they had kind of built the mindset and they built their confidence that they understood how good they could be. And so I really think the way that North Carolina closed the year last year, and people say, ah, it was only Pitt, and it was your Western Carolina, you got to win those games easy. But I think the fact that Nathan Elliott comes into the game against Miami and they're competitive. You know, save for two busted plays that resulted in you know, 50 plus yard touchdowns from Miami, North Carolina is right there with them. And then you handle business at Pitt, Western Carolina, and you're competitive with NC State really until the fourth quarter and things kind of get away from you. And talking with the guys in, in spring practice, they all really latched onto that. Like, you know what? We really struggled midway through the year. You know, the, the game Jason talked about, Virginia Tech. They're really embarrassed. And there were a couple games there as well. You know, Notre Dame, they got pounded in the second half. Georgia Tech, the game got away from them. But they really kind of started to gel a little bit at the end of the year. And they've really embraced that. And so I think their mindset is, look, you know, last year we had a lot of injuries. We didn't play as well as we hoped to. We were young in certain spots. We can really build off of that. And so regardless of what happens out California, because you know, we know these – uh, potential s- suspensions are kind of lingering, right? We, we know there's going to be guys likely to miss some games. Uh, but even if they go to California and they happen to lose, I don't think that means that you know, this team's going to be bad. I, I think it's, you're fortunate well, that you're going to be a pretty good football team too. I agree with you. I think they are. They got a lot of guys back. Second year, Bo Baldwin, I think, is a very good offensive coordinator. Wilcox knows defense. Um but then you go, like you said, you go to ECU, who's not good. I mean, they, they're they just not good. Um, and then you have Central Florida, who I think is going to be better than maybe some people think. So you've got some tough games early, but if you can kind of get your footing, uh, once you get into ACC play, you're, you benefit, you're benefited by the fact that you open with Pitt, whose Pitt's going to be better. I'm not sure how good they're actually going to be. But that matchup uh, but, has always been a really advantageous one for Fedora too. He's always really that's that's just a some offensive guys just just feel it against certain defensive guys, and to me that's one where for whatever reason Carolina 
match feels like they always match up well against Pitt in that side. And I think that again, that's that favors them. Like you said, that's a good one to open with. Yeah, he likes those quarters for whatever reason. He likes that. He likes that defense because that uh, post so alert, the, man. Yeah, so you're looking there. You know, say two and two, even if you lose a couple early games, and then by that point in time, if you have some confidence, then you can get in the ACC play, and you you really feel pretty good. Maybe about where you're at, and who knows how things go from there. So I think the fact that they've done a good job this offseason of letting the guys kind of latch on to how last season closed maybe that's enough to withstand some early losses if that happens or not to you know, cave in the entire season. And and I'll say this too. I think that the way that they're, that they're preparing for California. I mean, I, th- I think that's a pretty close to a coin flip game. Uh, and even though it's across the country, it's going to be really interesting for Carolina Again, against Cal in that game, and and for reasons we'll all talk about once once we get to the end of uh, of of preseason and and into that game week, but I think that's probably a coin flip game. If you win that coin flip game, now you don't have to worry about the hangover from last year at all, right? You go in there, and you're not just competitive and lose, but you go in and you win on the road at Cal, and all of a sudden your team again has that that buzz, that, that energy to be able to carry into ECU, you, you, you start two and O and then you, then you host UCF. And like you said, UCF can be a pretty good football team. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I would project that as a loss now, but even if you start two and one and then you go to pit, you're feeling really good as a football team going in there, uh, starting conference play. And, and suddenly last year is, is a distant memory. So you know, that, that Cal, Cal game is not everything. Cause like you said, they could go in and lose it and still feel okay. As long as they, they play well, but if they go in and win it, that's a real launching point. So it's good. That's going to be one that's interesting to see on, uh, I think quite a bit. It's sort of, you know, it reminds me maybe this season people have referenced it, Greg, about the USC game out in California. God, that's been 25 years ago. My senior year at Carolina, wow, I'm getting old. Uh, where Carolina well, went you know, out there. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Past tense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, Carolina goes out there. No one expected him to do anything, and they truck literally and figuratively Southern Cal. I mean, is this California game a similar type program game maybe for Carolina, do you think? Not necessarily because – I still think the fact that California has struggled in recent years um, and people look at you know, what Wilcox did last year and say, eh, losing record. But if you look into the kind of the, the nuance of it, you know, Cal had several games that they lost in Pac-12 play uh, you know, within like four or five points. Uh, you know, they, they trucked Washington State, beat them pretty soundly, which was a good team last year. Um, and I think the fact that this was the first year for a new offense, uh, first year for a new defense, first year for Wilcox as a head coach, um, and the fact that they return, I want to say they return like 17 starters just on offense and defense. Um, and you know, the, the McElwain kid from South Carolina who transferred in last year, he didn't get to play last year. So while Russ, Ross Bowers is back, he's not necessarily going to be the starter. Uh, so I do think there's the potential for, for California to be better this year um, and, and maybe get to a bowl game, and we'll, we'll see exactly how good of a coach Wilcox is. 
but I don't think people are looking at it like that. And they look at it as, yeah, Cal's kind of been down in recent years. This is the game that North Carolina should win. Uh, but like Jason said, I mean, if you, if you look at the stats, if you look at Vegas, everybody pretty much has this as a pick game. If anything, Cal's probably going to be favored by a point or two. Um, and so you know, it's not like the USC game where Southern Cal, it doesn't really matter how good they are. They've got the name behind them. I mean, going out there and winning that, you're like, wait a minute. They actually won that game? <laughs> I don't I don't think that'd be the case this year if they win at Cal. Like, eh, they kind of should have. But I think for for those of us that actually follow it, um, you you win at Cal, even you, especially if you've got guys out. You're saying okay, now that was one of the fifty fifty games. Now you've got that in your favor. So if you can steal one of these other fifty fifty games, now things are looking up. And so I yeah, do think it is a barometer game. Whew. Right. If you steal two fifty fifties, then you're above the. You know you're. In the red for a golfer. Isn't that right, Greg? If you're under par, you're in the red. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break. I want to come back, regroup, <laughs> and uh, ask Jason a couple questions that I got on my chest. I want to kind of get off, but let's do it after this break. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Let me ask you a question, Jason. I'll start with you, Greg. You can chime in. How do you prepare going into a season knowing that you're going to have guys out, but not necessarily knowing who's out and when they're out. How do, how, do, how does a staff, how does a team do that? Um, and Carolina, I believe, is in that position. So, I mean, I think for the most part, you try you try to prepare as though those guys are going to be there through most of camp. You, you just have to. You, in part because you need the bodies during camp. Uh, but then what you do is – if there's any, if you have any hint of which guys are going to be possibly out, then you just make sure that the that the the guys behind them get just a few extra reps here and there uh, before before camp lets out. So basically, the last week of camp or so, you're really making sure that that backups and some other guys that may not necessarily be getting quite as many reps with certain units you're making sure that some of those guys are getting a few extra reps and you're just making sure that whereas you might normally be focused, say, let's say on the offensive line, you got your five starters, you know who your five starters are going to be, but let's say you're worried about one or two of those guys. You just rotate that, that back up in for a few extra reps uh, here and there. Now, if you, if you know, if you know one guy is a real risk, then, then you do that all the more. But if you're, if you're completely, uh, going to be caught by surprise if you don't know how many or which guys then it's just a matter of rotating more and making sure that you're getting that everybody is getting first team reps with different combinations as you need to so that can affect your continuity a little bit as you as you as you get late in camp uh, because you're trying to develop that continuity with a unit that's used to playing together uh, but 
that's really all you can do is just make sure that guys have repped in they they played with the guy who might be next to them and that there's some that that they're they're prepared in terms of of game plan and that they know how to communicate with the other guys that are going to be on the field with them that's as much as you can do other than that you just prepare as normal carolina certainly has some practice with that last year with all the injuries and people dropping out and dropping in and all that but greg do you agree with that approach i mean this is part of the reason and i don't really want to go down this path on this podcast but this is part of the reason why this mess should have been handled long ago and the outcome known but again your thoughts on what jason said as far as preparing no i think jason's exactly right but let me say this this incident happened in february and Bubba Cunningham said within 24 hours of learning about it, the compliance staff shut it down, reported it. And in March, uh, according to our sources, the NCAA uh, had kind of um, determined that this was a secondary violation and had provided feedback to North Carolina. So we're also in a situation where we're told that at least some of the players involved have already uh, paid back to charity uh, the money that was received upon selling these shoes. And so what that tells me is that UNC, uh, at least Larry Fedora, and certainly the compliance department and, and the athletic department, knows you, what suspensions are coming right um they know which you, they know which guys were involved and that's the key right right and they have an idea because i mean the, the ncaa bylaws are, are very clear i mean if, if you sell a pair of shoes for more than 700 dollars, you were looking <laughs> at a four-game suspension that's what the rules say and you are there the mitigating factors sure i mean are there you know it's it's not cut and dry, but it's pretty clear there. And so I, I think I think the coaching staff has a good idea, and I think UNC has a pretty good idea. Now, to what does the coaching staff beyond Larry Fedora exactly know? Uh, you know that, that's kind of up to Bubba. That's up to Larry, you know, how that information filters down. And whether you, you – know, is there a concern that if a guy knows he's out, say, four games – is he going to play as hard in training camp if he knows he's not going to play until October? I mean, that is a legitimate conversation that you have to have. Yeah, I don't and know you how still that need the body. That's the thing. You still need him to play Correct. that hard during camp. That's the problem. And if he's the best player at that position, you certainly need him to play hard because once October rolls around, he's going to be the number one guy. Uh, regardless if he knows, hey, I've got a whole month where I'm not going to be able to play. Yeah, and, and you so, still need to, pra- to practice to continue to you know be, to be integrated just like normal during during practice for those four weeks. I mean, that's the other thing. Like this is right. beyond camp. That's right. So, how do you balance that? How do you how do you gauge whether a player is going to stay engaged or he's going to check out and say, you know what, I'll I'll come back you know in the September when I know I'm probably going to get to play. I don't know that answer. I mean, none of us know that answer, but the staff and Larry Fedora, they have to kind of make that. When do we get to know exactly which players are, are going to be out? I would assume that public, we're not going to learn until right before the California game. Now, does the team 
find out earlier? Oh, yeah. Possibly. Yeah, the team um, will know. I mean, I guarantee you that the, the, the players the players on the team already know who who was involved. I can guarantee you right. that. Everybody know everybody right. already knows. And it's, you know, again, there may be some question as to who who gets how many game suspensions or whatever, but they're gonna know way in advance. But it's not in their interest to let Cal know who's gonna be out there. But in a best case scenario, you, nobody knows the team. And so everybody is friend to be that number one guy. And so that that kind of the the tricky you know, part of all this um, is however they handle that. So yeah, I think it, from from my perspective, you say, and I think you, you know, I know Tommy probably agrees. I don't know that you, but I think you kind of say, you know what, this happens in March, Memorial Day weekend, everybody's out on vacation. It's a dead week. We're going to roll this information out now so that when ACC kickoff comes off, it comes out in the middle of July, it's not that big of a deal because it's old news. But then everybody knows who's going to miss games. That factors in the training count. So I kind of get the idea of let's wait, let's, let's, you know, let's drag this out a little bit. Um, there's no rush. Uh, but that's part of the that's part of the nuance of all this is I exactly you know how do you play this out how do you make this work best for the team? Um, and clearly I don't have that answer, but you would think you know Larry and and, and Bubba have a much better handle of it. Yeah, Larry, I think you, I think what you have there is a is a um, a conflict between PR and coaching because as a coach. I would want those those announced the night before the game or the morning of the game. Uh, as, you know, as a as an institution, I'd want it announced the night before Memorial Day. <laughs> so it, that's that's your your conflict. Let me ask you this, Jason, and we can sort of wrap this one up because I hadn't really heard your thoughts on the new red shirt rule. And with this talk of suspensions, it certainly makes it far more relevant and good for North Carolina football. How do you think all of this affects these true freshmen or these guys that were planning on red shirt? And I mean, a lot of these guys are going to play, don't you think? Or do you think Carolina will treat it the same way? Um, no matter. I, I would think Jace Ruder gets some time on the field at some point. Do, do you think that it matters whether or not if somebody's suspended or not? Um, how they utilize the four games without burning a shirt rule. Yeah, it just depends on which guys are suspended. I mean, so much depends on that. Um, you know, if you've, if you've got a few key guys suspended where some guys were planning to redshirt, then yeah, you burn the shirt then. Uh, but without, without being sure of which guys are going to be out there and which guys aren't, it's hard to project that. Now, some guys, I mean, you're some of these, this class, there are a number of the, the, the top players aren't going to redshirt anyway. I mean, you're looking at Antoine Green, he ain't redshirt. William Barnes ain't redshirt. I mean, those guys are, are going to be out on the field anyway. But, uh, you know, if you, if you lose two or three guys at one spot, then maybe one of the other kids that's supposed that that's projecting to redshirt. Yeah. You go ahead and burn those, burn those, uh, right. Burn those, four games right away and if the kid lights you know plays lights out and and belongs in that rotation by game five then maybe you don't redshirt him 
what this does though is it is it takes away the cushion that you'd like to have that ideally you'd like to to use those four games a little later in the year when maybe you've had some injury stuff come up and you know you've got a guy that's more prepared to play and also you're able to keep those red shirts more involved and more interested over the course of practice because there's a chance they can play at any point you're trying to do that it, and and now if you play that kid in the first 4 weeks you're you're kind of losing him losing that extra motivation the rest of the year so so it's definitely not ideal in that respect but uh but I think yeah if you if if you've got guys out for four games and there's a there's a freshman that you're projecting to redshirt at that spot then you probably get that kid on the field some uh at that at, at you know at that early stage to to compensate for that and use that as a part of the redshirt thing but again like I said it, it depends on who it is Good stuff, guys. Greg, Jason, always fun to do the show. It's that time, boys. Uh, we will do these much more often as we get closer to the start of the season all the way into training camp and practice. And, Jason, look forward to talking to you in our post-game podcast like we've done with Buck and, and all as the season progresses. But, anyway, I'm going to wrap this one. Greg, Jason, appreciate it. Always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.